Well, good morning. Good morning to everyone in the venue as well. My name is Adrian, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free. Good to see you all here. Are you dried out? I pray that you are. It's good to be together in a safe, warm uh, church family when you're in a place of pain, isn't it? We are so blessed to have this church, this beautiful place to gather, and uh, we gather together as friends, both in the venue and here in the auditorium, and there is some comfort for us in being together as friends here today. Uh, I had planned, of course, um, in my scheduling to uh, continue with our message series in Galatians, and today we were going to be in Galatians chapter 4. Uh, I'm really enjoying that message series. I hope you are as well, and I encourage you to come back next week as we'll jump back into that. But as I was processing, obviously, well, what happened uh, this past week, it, I just wasn't feeling that. Uh, I was feeling the same thing you were feeling this past week. And, um, and so we're going to uh, speak to another topic uh, this morning, uh, when tragedy strikes. How do we respond with each other? How do we encourage one another? How do we respond biblically when tragedy comes our way? You know, Tuesday morning started like any other morning for me, as I know it did for you. And I had a couple different meetings that morning, and I uh, took my boy out to breakfast for his birthday, had a great time there, and then came back up and started to go through checklists for my day. And as I'm working my way through checklists, probably about 9.30 or so, maybe a little bit later, uh, someone in the office said, you need to turn on NTV Live, you will not believe what you're seeing. And so... I uh, turned on NTV Live on my computer and was shocked by the images that, of course, you've seen as the floodwaters were rising around the Holiday Inn and then other places, and you see this aerial footage, and then uh, the next thing you see, just couldn't believe my eyes, that uh, airboats and bulldozers were rescuing people from that hotel. And just shocking to sit on. Later that afternoon, on a couple different occasions, our staff gathered together and we prayed and um, decided to develop a plan. What would our response be? And, uh, you know, we're tired like you are, <laughs> but I want you to know your staff has been incredible at this church. Uh, the work that they've done to plan this week and to go off on site and help in various places, we have such an incredible staff at this church. And um, contacting first responders the, that afternoon and going through the day trying to make a plan. We put a plan into place and then we get to Wednesday morning. And uh, at that time, I didn't realize the extent of the damage, so I was still thinking I'd be teaching on Galatians 4 the, this morning until I drove down to South Kearney. And obviously, the roads were free then to pass in the areas the, that I was going. You don't need to call any police officer on me went through roads that were free to pass, and, um, and just wept, and prayed, and sat, and thought about people I know who, in this very church, went through flooding in March, and then I learned that Gibbon is flooding again late Wednesday afternoon, and I know they're going through flooding again. 
and uh, many of you as well that we proceed to hear from over the coming days. And uh, the, the question that stood out to me as I was processing through that and just praying for you all and then connecting with as many people as we could was, how does the church respond when tragedy strikes? Because the simple fact is, it's coming to every one of us, isn't it? Like, it, it doesn't matter if it was a flood or a tornado or some evil act or divorce or disease or some diagnosis or the death of a loved one. It is coming to all of us, is it not? And so we have to prepare ourselves as the body of Christ that this is how we respond. And we tell ourselves ahead of time, this is how we're going to respond. We teach ourselves from the scriptures. We coach ourselves up ahead of time. Because as Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. I heard some people say. Let's say that out loud. In this world, you will have trouble. In me, you will have peace. Let's say that out loud. Jesus said, in me, you will have peace. And so he never promised us a panacea, far from it. He promised us that in this world, we will endure trouble. It's not if, it's when. And it's coming to all of us, and it's no sign of God's disfavor that we endure it. As Jesus said, the rain pours on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. On both of us, on all of us, it pours on all of us. And so if you're not in tragedy right now, I rejoice with you. Others are in tragedy right now, and I weep with you. And we meet people where they are, and what we need is to regularly develop some handles that we would hold on to. And part of that was what we sang about the, this morning. Christ the solid rock I stand, no other ground is sinking, every other ground is sinking sand. He is our strong tower, he is our solid rock. We, we, we sing about that, we believe that. We, we need to sing about that, we need to pray, we need to have catharsis together and cry together. But in addition, we need some handles from the scriptures that we would hold on to when crisis comes to us. Or crisis comes to people that we love, or people that we don't even know, but we want to help. And we also need some handles to hold on to for what doesn't help. And so what I want to do here for the next 30 minutes is just share a few things that really can help us when tragedy strikes people we love, or maybe we're going through it right now, and then one thing that I see happening a lot, especially in our broader culture and our Twitter age but really doesn't help at all. And I'll start with that. Here's what doesn't help. Easy answers, if you're taking notes, easy answers just don't help. Pat answers to big problems don't end up helping anyone out. Have you noticed that whenever there's a tragedy that someone goes through, other people look for very simple, easy, pat answers that they can give to said tragedy for that other person? Have you noticed that? I just took some time on Tuesday evening and well, Wednesday morning to scroll through Twitter. Dangerous thing to do. Don't do that much. That'll tick you off. You'll lose your peace. In Jesus, you will have peace. In Twitter, you won't. 
I took some time on Tuesday evening to scroll through Twitter to see what people were saying, and Carney was flooding up, lighting up in pictures all over Twitter. And... Um, various comments, and of course, some people there had some explanations as to what was happening, which I took liberty to write down. One person posted pictures and wrote simply, global warming. Carney flood, global warming. I've heard other people say, oh, this is God's judgment. And of course, during the Orlando shootings a couple years ago, you heard that, and during the Las Vegas shootings a couple years ago, you heard that. And during Hurricane Katrina, I led a group of people that went down and served on ground at Hurricane Katrina for a couple weeks right after that, and I heard people saying that. But isn't it interesting, nobody ever says that about their own hometown. They always say that about someone else's hometown. This is God's judgment. Someone else wrote on Twitter, I blame the Carney flood on Mercury retrograde. Whatever that is. Like, was it God's judgment? I doubt it. I really doubt it. Was it global warming? I don't know, and neither do you. Nobody does. And, like, are floods new? Somebody tell me no. Like, <laughs> how would you measure that? Okay, beyond that, it doesn't help to say those kinds of things. When somebody gives those easy, pat answers, tell me, who's it for? It's for themselves. It's for themselves. When people give easy, pat, trite answers, it's so that they would feel better. It's not to do anything specifically that would actually help the victim. It's saying, I know the answer, I have the solution, if you would just get on board with me. It's really very selfish to give easy pat answers. You know, even Jesus sometimes avoided answering the question, why? Did you know that? Even Jesus regularly avoided the, answering the question, why? He knew why, but he regularly avoided answering the question, why? Interesting. You look at Luke chapter 13, for example, later on today, you read just the first seven, eight verses of Luke chapter 13, and you'll see there's two dual great tragedies that fell upon the people of Israel on a single day. And in one case, uh, Pontius Pilate assassinated some Jewish people and mixed their blood together with the sacrifices that were being made to Pontius Pilate. Wow. And then in another case, there was perhaps an earthquake of some kind. And this tower fell to the ground. It's called the Tower of Siloam. And as the tower fell to the ground, 13 people were immediately killed. And so, of course, people came to Jesus because they heard this great prophet was coming through their community. And they asked, uh, Jesus, who's responsible for this? Why did this happen? And if you read carefully, you will notice that Jesus does not answer their questions. He simply says... Tragedy is coming to all of us, and you need to use this tragedy, whatever tragedy that we might be in, it could be related to the floods or anything else, whatever tragedy that we might be in, you need to use this tragedy as a reminder that life is short. And not only is life short, but pain is coming to all of us, and so use this as a reminder to turn to God. 
Tragedy is an opportunity in which God reminds us that he is sovereign and we are not. And here in this, we turn toward God. And yet he doesn't give any answers there. Same thing in John chapter 9. You read about this man who was born blind in John chapter 9. And a whole bunch of people are coming to Jesus. Disciples and opposers and the man's parents. And they're all saying, who's at fault for this man being blind? Is it his parents' fault? That like he's got some bad karma? Some of them are asking that. Is it his fault that he's got some bad karma? That's the kind of question that they're asking. And again, he doesn't answer the question. He simply looks at the man. He has compassion in his eyes. And he says, this happened that the glory of God would be shown in this man's life. And then Jesus showed the glory of God in this man's life by healing him in that individual moment. But he did not answer their specific question about who is at fault, who is to blame. A little warning, when tragedy strikes, do not try to fix the pain for people. It won't work. And it's not your job. Can I get an amen? It is not your job. There's one Messiah, and it's his job to ultimately, slowly fix the pain. Only the Savior can do that. I had a chance to talk to some friends in this church last week who lost their entire house to the last set of floods. And they live north of town, quite a ways in another town. They lost their entire house. And they've been getting back on their feet over the course of the past several months. They've been helped by many people in this church. Thank you for the ways you've served this family. Been helped by Restore Ministries. And now they've had to move to another municipality and recently have moved into their new home, which is different than the dream home that they were living in, their old family home. But this is people, these are a couple people of great hope and great faith. And um, I talked with them many times over these past months. And I just, I thought of them this, this last week. And I decided to pick up the phone and call them and ask them, could you, could you tell me what helped and what didn't help over these past few months that other people did for you and other people didn't do? Could you share with me what helped? And they answered with this. Uh, finding ways to encourage the victims helps. People came alongside us and just sought to encourage us when we were down. Showing up at their house and asking, what can I do while I'm at your doorstep, that helps. Listening to their story, not interrupting, just listening to their story. Giving gifts such as gift certificates for lumber yards and restaurants, blankets and even cash, that helped. Making actual phone calls to them so that they could hear a friend's voice. Deep cleaning the home, loaning them your dehumidifiers, cleaning and tidying up someone's home and their exterior or their yard, donating storage tubs, all of those things really helped us. Now, what are some things that didn't help, I asked. And he said, sometimes people would say things like, call if you need anything. Wink, wink. That, that, that's how they felt. Not my words, theirs. Others have it worse. You know, if you're a victim, you can say, others have it worse. You cannot say to the victim, remember, others have it worse. You see the difference? 
uh, this is just part of God's plan. That didn't help them. They heard that on a number of occasions. That didn't help. It's just stuff. It can all be replaced. Again, if you're the victim, you can say that. But you can't say that to someone who's the victim. It doesn't help. People oftentimes say well-intentioned but unhelpful things when people are hurting. I, I can't tell you the number of times that I've heard in many, many different places. A baby dies and so someone says, well, God just needed another baby in heaven. Like, what does that say about God? Don't say that. Just let go and let God. Don't say that. God works all things for good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose and then walk away. Like, that makes you feel better. It doesn't make that person feel better when they're in a place of sorrow. There's something about meeting people right where they are. What we don't want to do is try to offer trite, small solutions to a great, big, gigantic problem. Again, oftentimes those statements are well-meaning, but they don't usually help. What does help, and what we heard this couple say as I talked to them about this past week, was just meeting people right where they are, offering the gift of presence, offering sympathy, offering cards, offering prayers, a listening ear, and a hand to help in time of need. That really, really helps. Here's how I put it on your outline. Your empathetic and prayerful touch, that really helps a great deal. Because empathy says this, right where you are in the emotional state that you are in, I don't judge it. I'm with you right where you are, and I will journey with you in this place as your friend, not the one who is able to fix the, this problem the, that you're in. And when you cannot find words to say as you're seeking to pray to God, I will come on your behalf and I'll offer those words on your behalf to bring you into the very throne room of God when you don't feel like you can get there yourself. That's empathy. And there's great power, and I know that there's great mystery in prayer, and many of us look at a situation like this and we say, why would I even pray? And I would just say to you in that situation, while there is great mystery in prayer, what I've seen across my 23 years above being a Christian now is those who pray according to the Jesus method of prayer, those who pray, God, you are sovereign and you are strong. You are my great Father and I trust in you and holy is your name. And those who pray, may your kingdom come on earth. May your will be done in my life. I'm praying for your kingdom, not for my comfort. And they mean it. I'm praying for your kingdom, not for my comfort. Those who pray that way, and those who pray in the Jesus method of prayer, to keep on praying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and not give up, keep on knocking at the door of our God and Father. Those who pray that way, more like a crock pot than a microwave, I might add. Okay, pray like a crock pot, not like a microwave. And you just bathe yourself in that lifestyle that I bring my thoughts and I bring my emotions and I bring the challenges that are coming my way up to a holy God. Those who pray in the Jesus way of prayer, as I just described, they experience a whole lot more answers to prayer than those who don't. Doesn't mean everything's going to go your way. Doesn't mean all comfort's going to be ours, but we experience more as we pray as Jesus taught us to pray. And then there's such power when we come together as a community. And remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 18. When two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I, right with you. When you're gathered together in his name, 
you have this power of empathy, of caring for one another. And there is Christ as we agree together, gather in his name, he's with us in that moment. Psalm 116 says this, I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. And because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Friends, as you, as you pray according to the Jesus method of prayer as given in the Lord's Prayer, I promise you, God turns his ear to you. Your prayers don't hit the ceiling and fall back to your feet. Your prayers go up as a pleasing aroma to God. And then we learn to wait on the Lord and be strong and take heart and wait on the Lord some more and be still and know that God is God. And in prayer, we learn that while everything else may be stripped away from us, the presence of our good God and Savior will not be stripped away from us. And sometimes we think we need one thing, but really what we need is to be in the very presence of God and that someone else would lead us there. And the way that someone else will lead you there, the way that you'll be able to lead someone else there, is by matching where they are. The Bible says you rejoice with those who rejoice. You mourn with those who mourn. You meet them right where they are and match that. And then you bring them, when they don't have the energy or the emotion to go into the presence of God, you bring them into the presence of God by your prayerful touch. I, I got to tell you, one of the things that I, I like to do most is just um, come to people who are in pain and hold them on the shoulder and look them in the eye and say, what is one way I can pray for you in this? And what I found over the years of doing that is whether I'm looking in the eyes of a Christian or a Buddhist or an atheist or a Jew or agnostic or, or whoever else, about nine times out of ten, that person looks me back in the eyes and says, thank you. Would you pray for this? And about nine times out of ten, that man who I then ask, can I just put my hand on your shoulders, I pray for you, right in this moment, can I pray for you right in this moment, I pray for that man, and typically well, what ends up happening, frequently with man's man, is uh, we get done praying, and there's a little whisper of tears coming down uh, his cheek, or maybe his eyes are moistened up, and then all of a sudden, we go from being buds that are shoulder to shoulder, to being bros, and he's giving me a good old bear hug. You know what I'm saying? Like there's something that empathetic prayer, an empathetic prayer touch does that nothing else can do. I believe in God. Let's go into the presence of God together. I care about you. Let's go before him. Your touch to people right now, it helps. It helps. And the everyday body of Christ, wherever we live, whatever we do for the cause of Christ right now, it really helps. Again, people are going to ask, where is God in this? And the question might as well be asked, where is the church in this? Where is God in this? Well, God has a body. And his body is called you and me. God doesn't have a body in heaven. He has a body on earth. And his body on earth is made to be his representatives, his ambassadors, those who would do what he would do if he had a body while he was on earth. And so we, the everyday body of Christ, what we do every day, you and me, it really, really helps. 
It makes a difference in people's lives when people take notice. Well, when the church acts like Jesus, and people take notice when the church does not, like to act, does not act like Jesus as well. Isn't that right? The people notice when the church acts like Jesus, and the people notice when the, the church doesn't act like Jesus. I was talking to another man though, this last week, single dad in our church, and he had his apartment flooded, and he's resilient like so many Nebraskans are so resilient. I love that about Nebraskans. <laughs> It's just, it's awesome. And, you know, he, he was working his way through. He got cleaned out. He said, oh, it's no big deal, Adrian. Yeah, you don't need to worry about it. Well, we're doing well. And he said, listen, I was t- talking to my friend, and my friend was, was asking, she, she heard that you guys were providing meals for first responders and that you brought meals down to first responders in our community. And she heard that you were providing meals up at the church for people who are displaced. They come to the church, and they could receive prayer and receive a meal. And uh, she asked me, is that true? Is that what your church is doing right now? And he said, well, yeah, baby, we don't just talk about this. Exactly. Well, yeah, baby, we don't just talk about this. You hear that? Well, yeah, baby, we don't just talk about this. Look look at uh, 2 Corinthians 1. We don't just talk about this while we live this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. Why? Why does he do it? I heard someone shout from the venue. So we could comfort others. It's not just for us. You know, he comforts us so that we could comfort others when they are afflicted, when they are troubled, with whatever trouble they are going through, with the same comfort that we receive from our good God and Father when we were needing comfort as well. And there is no healer as powerful as a wounded healer. When you've been a, a wounded person and God heals you, there's no power that is greater in any servant of God, any man or woman of God, than one who has been wounded himself or herself and then offers healing to others, but because they've experienced God comforting them in their affliction and then they hand it out to others as well. This is the very reason, though, that we have a church. This is the reason we have a church building, that we would be like a medical hospital to people who are in need for ourselves and then also for the community. But not just in this church building, also on an everyday basis from Monday to Saturday as well, that we would go out to the broken places where people live. And sometimes we act kind of like first responders, like many of us did this past week. And other times what we need to do is just act like prayer partners. And other times what we need to do is just act like physical therapists who do a little teeny bit of help, little bit by little bit over the course of months, and therefore they make a difference in someone else's lives. Take a look up at this screen. You'll see this map here. Look at this. You know what this map here on this screen represents, anyone? You know what all those red dots represent? All those red dots represent you and me. That's this body of Christ. That's this church. And this church doesn't just meet here on Sunday morning. This church meets out there across all those red dots, across this town and so many other towns and across a huge region. Every day bringing the light of Christ no matter where we go. And one of my firmest convictions from the scriptures is this. Every tragedy is simultaneously an opportunity for the light of Christ to shine. Every tragedy is simultaneously an opportunity for the consistent 
convicted, focused, organized, loving, prayerful, empathetic, Christ-centered body of Christ to respond. Every tragedy is an opportunity for the body of Christ to respond. And so what if we were those very rare people who consistently over the course of these coming weeks knock on the doors of the widows and the widowers and the single moms and the single dads that we know in our neighborhood who might have been affected by this or might be affected by something else? What if we were among those people that say, you know what, our life group is going to do something different this fall. This fall, instead of just doing yet another book study, like, do they ever get stale for you? Am I allowed to say that? Come on, laugh with me, come on. Sometimes they get stale. Like, maybe this fall we'll do something. What if your life group said, we can't do it every week, we can't do it every other week, but we're going to commit to one home as a life group. Or we're going to commit to one business as a life group. And as a life group, over these next few months, we're going to help build these people back up until they get on their feet again. That may not be it for you. You may not be in that stage of life though, that you can do that. That's okay. This is a no guilt message. But this is a good time to ask, how is it the church helps during time of tragedy? And it might be something like that for you, for your family, for your life group. None of us can address all of the needs, but all of us can address one or two of the needs. And taking together a map like that that you just saw can address a whole lot of needs across this community for the glory and honor of God. Why? Because we're Christians. Because we follow Christ. And Christ loved. He brought his fragrance wherever he went. So Galatians 6 would say, Paul would say, uh, bear with one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You want to fulfill the law of Christ? Bear with one another's burdens. Do not grow weary in doing good as many of us are growing weary. I'm growing a little weary too. Do not grow weary in doing good but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching and know that you will receive a reward at the proper time. I love what J.D. said in that video earlier. There's been people that have been serving kind of nonstop for folks that have been flooded in Wood River and given so specifically over these past few months. And there's kind of a need for a new crop of volunteers to jump up and partner well with our efforts with Storehouse and Restore Ministries and other places. But even if you're tired, I just encourage you, do not grow weary in doing good because in time, I promise you, God will give you a reward if you do it as unto him and not unto yourself or not for any credit. I just encourage you in this. Whatever you do over these coming months, will seem small, but it's very important that you do it anyway. Whatever any of us do will seem small, but it's really important that we do it anyway. It matters to other people, even to that one family that we happen to be serving. Friends, when the church lives for Christ and prioritizes loving its community deeply every day because Christ loves us every day, then the church is able to make the difference in the community over the time, again, through conviction and through consistency. Those two things, conviction, that I stand on what I believe, how I believe it, I'm not moving far from what I believe, and consistency, I consistently love the community that God has called me into, then the church begins to shine in a powerful way. The everyday body of Christ helps, and dwelling in the presence of God 
most importantly, if you're in a place of tragedy right now, you got to hear this. Dwelling in the presence of God helps the most. Don't know what the suffering is, though, that you brought into church today. But it's dwelling in the presence of God, receiving from him what no man or woman can do for us. That is what helps us the most. And it's really okay to say to people, I don't know why this happened, but I do know who is with you. I have no idea why this happened, but I really do know who is with you in this time. And I know that he is strong, and I know that he is loving, and I know that he desires to be present with you in this time of need. Do you know Jesus refers to God in the Bible as a helper? Like, helping is elevated by Jesus. God himself is called a helper in the scripture. Look at John 14. It says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. God's going to send a helper in the Holy Spirit to dwell with us, that as we have meditated on choice scriptures that really speak to us, then the Holy Spirit reminds us of those choice scriptures right at the time of our need to speak into our hearts. And out of that, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let your hearts be afraid. My peace I leave, leave to you, my peace I give to you. And the way God does that typically is by providing the Holy Spirit to minister to us in our time of need that as we have meditated on a choice morsel of Scripture and then we go into the presence of God and we say, God, would you meet me right here? He ministers to our spirit in a way that we cannot even explain. And so if you're hurting today, my primary encouragement for you more than anything else I've said, if you're hurting today is this, dwell with Jesus. He is the one that can help when no other person can help. You sit and you dwell in his presence and in the presence of misery, I promise you there is Messiah meeting with us in whatever misery we might feel. One of the greatest promises of Scripture is this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. There is something that we must do. We must take a step to draw near to God. To say, I'm going to take 15 minutes though this morning to dwell in your presence. Because more than any other person, I need you. I need you to be my helper. I need you to encourage me in this time of need. And so I'm going to meditate on a very choice passage of Scripture, not much, just a single psalm or John 14, 26 though, that we read about or one of the other ones that we've talked about though, this morning or some other passage that really speaks to you. And I'm going to dwell on that. I'm going to pray through that word. And I ask you, God, to meet me in this place. And you are a very present help in any time of trouble. You are my rock and my refuge. And I ask God, it feels like there's quicksand underneath me. Would you please stabilize my life? And I promise you, your God is strong to stabilize your life. Your God is loving to be with you right where you are. But the invitation is this. Will you draw near to him? And as we draw near to him, as we take a step near, he draws near to us.
and he is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So here's what we're going to do. Here are our next steps. Number one, the first thing I want to invite you to consider doing today, as has been noted already, is to go out to the kiosk, the journey wall, and sign up at Restore Ministries, carneyefree.com. Perhaps we get hundreds of people out there, and over the course, not just of the next week, but the next months, you don't have to sign up for a specific day, but you put your name on a million list, and you commit yourself, how am I going to bless the community? How am I going to bloom where I'm planted? How am I going to serve where I am right now and care for those who are in need? Number two, uh, on a quarterly basis at this church, we take something called a grace offering. And every quarter, the grace offering goes 100% to the needs of people in this church and in the broader community. We get none of it for administration, none of it for salaries, none of those things. It goes 100% for people in need in our community. Our deacon and deaconess team and our storehouse team, they administer all of that on a quarterly basis. And they have unanimously agreed that this quarter, we want all of that to go to flood relief. And so whatever you choose to give to today as you leave the exits and the venue and here in the auditorium in that box, or if you choose to write a check though this week and you send in a church for flood relief for the grace offering, all of it is going out. Empty your pocketbook, send it all out because our community has need right now. Number three, check in. Now is the time to proactively demonstrate the love of Christ to the people all around us. Don't be reactive. Don't wait. Proactively show them the love of Christ. Check in with neighbors and others who are vulnerable in your community. And then finally, number four, we pray. Not because we have to, because we, lead, we believe in prayer. We believe that we lead one another into the presence of God through the instrument of prayer and the presence of God is the most important thing, though, that we need even right now. You with me in this? This is what we're going to go after here for the next number of weeks. I know we have lots of other things going right now, but for whatever reason, this tragedy is upon us. And so we're going to use it as an opportunity to bless our community. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, as I close, do you need prayer? I'd like to know, would you just raise your hand where you are if you need prayer? And I, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you by name. Pray for everyone who needs prayer right now. And as a church family right now, we're just going to touch each other and pray for one another. If you need prayer right now, would you raise your hand? And I want to pray for you. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Okay, great. People who are raising their hand, please keep them raised for just a minute. Just leave your hands raised for a minute. Okay. I know there's a number in the venue as well. If you're around one of these people, would you just put your hand on their shoulders? John, would you put your hand over here on Angel's shoulder? Would you just pray for those that have been bold enough to raise their hand and say, I, I need prayer right now. J just come on around, someone who needs prayer. Don't leave people alone in this moment. May anyone else need prayer right now? Just raise your hand and say that. Okay, we're going to love each other right now. In the venue, I trust this is happening as well right now. There is no shame in this. We are a family. We're a church family. We're a body of Christ together. Let's pray with each other. Join me. Oh, Father, I, I thank you for this entire church. I thank you that we are a church family who loves each other, that we are the body of Christ. You have not left your body here on earth. 
Rather, God, you have given a body to this earth, and it's called the church. And we, the church, are intended to be, by your providential decision, the hands and feet of Christ wherever we would go, even right now this morning. And we thank you, Father, that we do have a God who sympathizes with us in our suffering, as the scriptures tell us, a God who empathizes with us in our suffering, because Jesus went through so many storms in life. He went through storms, literally. He went through beatings. He went through betrayal. He went through all of that. And because of that, he can sympathize with those who are suffering in any way today. And I look over this church today, and I know that there are many who are suffering today. And I ask God that you meet them in their place of need in this moment with your love. Touch them. Let them know they're not alone. Let them know they're loved by others in this church. And let them know, most of all, they are loved by you, the only true God, the Savior and the helper that we need today. Father, whatever it is that these folks are going through, it could be something in their family. It could be something in their home. It could be an economic issue. It could be a divorce. It could be the loss of a loved one. And we ask, God, that you would meet them right there at this moment. Father, we continue to pray as well for homeowners who have lost so much this last week. Would you grant them courage and perseverance? May they recover with grace. Would you give them hope when they get weary? We ask for rescue workers and police officers, for firefighters and medical workers. We thank you for them in our community. They do such an amazing job as they did this last week. And we pray, God, that you keep them safe. Prevent all illness, God. We pray over them, God, that you would put your protective covering over them, that you would give them rest and sleep. You give sleep and rest to your beloved children. Would you do that for us, God? We pray for volunteers who are stressed and tired. Would you give them energy to keep going? We ask for us as a community, Lord, that you would help us to love and you would help us to be the healing balm of ointment to one another in a very difficult season, to build one another up and encourage one another to represent you well to this church family and to the broader community in this time of distress. And we pray most of all, God, that you would be our strong tower. You would be the one we could hold on to. When things feel unstable, you could be the rock that we would stand on. You would be our help as a community, as individuals, as a church in this time of need. We trust you to strengthen us, to give us courage, and to move forward for the honor and glory of God. May it be in the mighty, powerful, and loving name of Jesus. And God's people say, amen. Amen.